Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Welcome to UFOs Above Canada, a nighttime podcast series exploring the people, the events, and the concepts that surround the Canadian UFO experience. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to UFOs Above Canada, an ongoing nighttime series that explores both blurry photographs of seagulls and a global conspiracy to deny the connection between our world leaders and extraterrestrial beings that may or may not be visiting us. In tonight's episode, I invited one of Canada's leading UFO-centric journalists to share some of his fascinating work with us. If you've read a Canadian news article that covers the UFO topic in the last year, Daniel Otis likely wrote it. For example, you may have come across his most recent article, as it caused quite a stir. In a recent piece, Daniel shared the surprising news that just last year, the Canadian Defence Minister received a briefing on the topic of UFOs. Tonight he's going to tell us all about it. As in this episode of Nighttime, Daniel Otis will share some of his recent work, including what is known about this briefing. Daniel Otis, great to have you back. And I got to say, we, we got a lot to talk about. You have done a lot of work in the Canadian UFO space over the last couple of years. How, how are you doing over there? I'm pretty great. Uh, thanks for having me back. I guess it's been about a year since we last spoke, isn't it? I, th- I think so. Yeah, about, about a year. And again, as I said, you've been very busy since then. I've, I've forever like what happens to me is uh, when a new UFO related news piece comes out in, in any, you know, that, that connects to Canada in any way, a lot of listeners will send it to me. So I forever my email box is, you know, look what Daniel Otis is up to. <laughs> so let me start with that. Like, what what is it that what do you do? And, and why have you chosen the UFO space to do so much of it in? Tell me about it. Well, you know, if, if you look back, uh, the New York Times is really the outlet that opened the doors for, you know, serious, you know, UFO, UAP journalism. Uh, they sort of opened those doors in late 2017 with their groundbreaking piece on uh, uh, on U.S. Uh, UFO research programs. You know, having seen that coverage, it sort of inspired me to start digging and see, you know, what exactly is going on in Canada? You know, what is our military doing and uh, regarding UFOs? Um, you know, what sort of uh, documents are there to be found? So, you know, inspired by that New York Times coverage, I started filing uh, Canadian access to information requests. That's uh, the Canadian version of the FOIA. And lo and behold, you know, documents started coming in about a year ago. And, you know, for me, it was just a matter of, you know, seizing the opportunity. I was starting to receive all this material about, you know, Canadian involvement and UFO cases and stuff like that. And, you know, I looked around and realized there weren't really any Canadian journalists who were covering this stuff. So, you know, I I saw an opportunity and, you know, a a field that no one was covering. And I've just really uh, taken a dive in wholeheartedly. And, you know, a, a year, it's been over a year of covering this topic quite intensely. And I'm happy very happy with the work I've produced and some of the uh, topics and cases that uh, I've shed light on that, yeah. you know, were hidden in the shadows before. Yeah. So w- w- you had one expectation when you start poking around here. Are, are you surprised at what you've been finding? Like, is it is it deeper and broader of uh, of a mystery or, or at least of Can- the Canadian government's involvement in the mystery than you expected when you started? 
I, frankly, when I first I did my first round of uh, access to information requests, I wasn't expecting anything. You know, uh, this is a topic that's just been characterized by secrecy and obfuscation for for decades. You know, I was expecting to get a whole lot of nothing. So when you know I started the first sorts of documents I started receiving were uh, intelligence reports uh, from the Canadian Air Force about. Uh, aviation uh, UFO encounters, pilots over Canada seeing weird things. So, so that was, you know, completely striking and shocking for me. You know, I, like I said, I had no expectations. And ever since, you know, the documents uh, keep coming in. I think what impresses me is, is the volume of reports that have been filed to Canadian authorities, whether it be transportation authorities or uh, the Canadian Air Force. Uh, that surprised me. And, and, but I guess the second thing, a lot of people, I think, have um, the belief that the Canadian government has been covering up uh, UFO data. I, I don't know so much if, if that's the case, as much as it, it's been sort of a, a profound institutional disinterest. Hmm. So there, there's a documented evidence of credible you know, the so-called credible uh, observers like pilots, military personnel filing these reports in Canada for decades. But, you know, the the evidence also shows that for the most part, with a few exceptions, but for the most part, when these reports come into Canadian authorities, that there's very little interest. Hmm. You know, they sort of check to see if there's any clear security or safety issue involved. And if it's, you know, a sighting of something unconventional, like, you know, a glowing hovering light, you know, that's not a conventional threat, like a, a Russian aircraft, for example, then official Canadian interest seems to disappear. Interesting. So it's not so much of a cover up as it seems to be just simple disinterest. And that doesn't surprise me. I, I, I'm you, I'm sure you're familiar with him, but Dr. Matthew Hayes uh, was on the show several times in the past, and he did a lot of research into kind of the internal communications uh, that the Canadian government had relating to the topic of UFOs. And that seems to be a lot like his findings. It seemed more so just to be, you know, disinterest or almost a roll of the eyes in some cases. But that doesn't change the fact that there, there is some transparency there. You've been able to access a lot of documents that are documents, again, either government or aviation authorities that show that it is a um, an ongoing concern. There are multiple reports that are that appear to be looked into by and, and are made by reputable people in terms of the quality of the reports you're seeing. Like, is it stuff that's that you think is is changing your opinion or your mind on the phenomenon? Like, is it as real as a lot of people want us to think? Well, you know, the, the reports really run the gamut. Um, most of the reports I'm, I'm pulling, uh, the official Canadian reports tend to be very brief. For the most part, you know, it involves bright, glowing objects observed at night. There are cases where things are, you know, displaying unusual flight characteristics. Mm -hmm. I think it, rather than any one individual report, I think what impresses me most about the phenomenon as it relates to Canada is the sheer volume and breadth of reports hmm. that, you know, declassified records show reports in Canada going back 70 years. You know, I found reports from the early 1950s from Canadian military personnel right up to the present day. 
And, and the substance of those reports doesn't change much from decade to decade. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there's one particular instance that's really changed my perspective, but by, you know, taking a bird's eye view and looking at the totality of cases, I find that impressive, you know, and, and to me that emphasizes the fact that, yes, people who should have a good idea of what's in the sky uh, occasionally see things that defy conventional explanation, mm -hmm. you know, uh, by the very definition of the term uh, UFO, they, they, they exist, unidentified flying objects exist, people see things in the sky they can't identify. Um, you know, I, I still get asked in day to day life, oh, do you believe in UFOs? I, I, I don't think that's the appropriate question. Uh, I, I think the evidence suggests unequivocally that there is identified phenomena in our skies. The real question is, what is it? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't have the answer to that. And uh, I, I don't ha really have a hypothesis. Um, I'm very impressed by the fact that, you know, there's a decades long mystery happening in Canadian skies. And that, you know, people who ought to know what's in the sky, like pilots and Air Force aviators, and air traffic controllers, uh, they report seeing things they can't explain. And for me, that's very impressive. Mm -hmm. Now, before we get into kind of like your latest um, your latest story that's been all over the place in the Canadian you know UFO world, let's kind of talk about some of the the main stories um, that have taken place during your year and some time of really working heavily. When you think back of your time covering the UFO phenomenon in Canada, what are the stories that you've come across that really stand out as like you know wow that was a you know a big deal when when that came up. Yeah, yeah. So to, to just to give a rundown over the past, you know, I, I've been working as a journalist uh, for over a decade. You know, I've written for big Canadian publications, Toronto Star, Globe and Mail, CTV News, etc. Uh, over the past year, I've, I've done just shy of a dozen stories on the topic of UFOs, mostly for Vice, mm -hmm. uh, Vice Media and Motherboard, but also for uh, I've recently done a piece for I recently did a piece for CTV News. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to just Every piece I've done is sort of built on the last, you know, the, the first piece I did started with a Air Force intelligence report uh, about a, quote, inexplicable bright light that followed a medical transport plane over northern Manitoba, I believe it was in January 2019. You know, from there, I did a piece on uh, compiling uh, sightings from commercial airline pilots. Uh, the Transport Canada, which is a government department, a federal government department uh, that oversees aviation. And here in Canada, they operate a aviation incident database that, you know, it contains things like mechanical failures, bird strikes, unruly passengers. Basically, if any plane has an incident in Canada, it gets logged. Uh, by mining through that system, I was able to find literally dozens of, you know, so-called UFO reports logged by commercial pilots. And that that was the subject of the uh, second story that I, I did, you know, was just compiling all of these uh, Canadian aviation sightings. You know, from there, I did another story based on 70 years worth of Canadian military sightings through the, um, you know, through declassified documents. I was basically able to find uh, military UFO reports in nearly every single decade going back to the early 1950s. Wow. So, you know, 1950, 1960, 1970, up, up until the 2020s. Um, you know, and some of those reports, interestingly, you know, I was finding reports from the same bases. You know, there is uh, one uh, military base in Ontario that had reports 
on file from both 2007 and 1952. And the the one from 1952, you know, 55 years earlier was genuinely the more bizarre uh, sighting of the two involving military personnel. Wow. Um, You know, and then from there, what else have I done? I've done a piece on Canadian air traffic. There's a Canadian air traffic control is all operated by a private company, which is kind of unique. Most countries have some degree of government involvement in their air traffic control infrastructure. Not in Canada. It's all privately done. Oh, I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. So, so I did a piece on the private company that operates air traffic control here in Canada and the sort of data that they are holding. You know, they have whenever these uh, reports come into them, there's obviously uh, radar, some radar data. Um, there's obviously air traffic uh, tower audio recordings. You know, I've been trying to get that kind of stuff. Uh, I've actually, <laughs> that's a side note, I've actually identified the file names of some recordings and I'm currently fighting to get them released because they're being withheld. Wow, that's uh, certainly a goldmine of information that this company yeah. would have though. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, it, were this the United States, that sort of air traffic control is operated by a, a, a federal agency, you know, so you could do access to information, freedom of information requests to get that data. In Canada, you can't. In Canada, you can only get what the company has shared with the military or with aviation officials. Okay, that's interesting. All so right. I've done I've done something on them. What else, you know, in, in July? There's a lot of work you've been yeah. up to. <laughs> July 2021, there was a report of a Canadian military plane and a a Dutch uh, KLM passenger flight that both uh, observed the glowing green object off the coast of Newfoundland. Um, You know, I did a piece on uh, renowned Canadian ufologist Chris uh, Rakowski Mm -hmm. and uh, how Chris Rakowski has... Um, you know, I, I was able to find declassified Canadian Air Force and NORAD procedural documents that direct UFO reports to Chris, which was quite interesting. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a moment, because Chris is a he's a frequent guest on the, and friend of, of the Nighttime podcast. Um, he has never revealed this to me in all my my countless discussions with him. <laughs> but a part of it, it seems to be that you've uncovered that a part of the official process that the Canadian government has when receiving UFO reports includes like just passing them off to just a civilian in Manitoba, Chris Rutkowski. Am I understanding that right? You are understanding that completely correctly. Um, The UFO reports were officially handled by scientists at the National Research Council of Canada Uh until about 1995. Uh, Shortly thereafter, uh, once Canada ended all official involvements with our real life X-Files, uh, Chris, Chris uh, Rakowski raised his hand and said, well, you know, if you're not doing anything with these reports, you can send them to me. Uh, the right people were listening because uh, wow. j- just over 20 years ago, Chris started receiving reports directly from the Canadian military and aviation officials at Transport Canada, a uh, government department. That's so fascinating. Th- this is uh, this is obviously something not Chris doesn't hasn't really advertised mm-hmm. and, and for obvious reasons, because, mm-hmm. you know, he wants wanted to maintain that relationship and protect those sources. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, through the access to information system, we were able to find, you know, procedural documents that specifically say uh, from the Air Force and NORAD forward these reports to Chris, which is which is just fascinating. So, Chris, you know, 
Chris also played a role. I, you know, we're talking today because of a recent story I did mm-hmm. on how the Canada's former defense minister received a UAP briefing in June 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, sh- you know, Chris was actually asked to contribute uh, to that briefing as a civilian advisor. That is fascinating. So, so, so Chris is a, is a, you know, he's done some great work over the past several decades. You know, he's cataloged tens of thousands of uh, Canadian UFO reports. While, you know, at the same time, he's also quietly had this involvement with the military and the governments who have been, you know, sending data to him, which is just, which is quite fascinating. You know, the the U.S. has uh, invested in government funded UFO research programs uh, in Canada. You know, it's emails landing on the desk of a civilian researcher, you know, and and that's the sort of closest thing we have to an official research UFO research body today. That's a very um, Canadian kind of way to go about it, like a handshake agreement with a nice guy in yeah. Manitoba. Um, to, you, you mentioned there your latest piece that we can get into now, which involves a briefing of a Canadian, of, well, the former Canadian defense minister. But before we get into that briefing, we should set the scene a bit about what was happening in the world, specifically in America at the time that he was briefed, because there was um, there was a lot of discussion surrounding a report that the that was being drafted or by the American government that outlined their research into the UFO phenomenon. Am I understanding that the, the point of that document that the American government was uh, commissioning, I guess would be the right word? Yeah. So so there was a lot of media coverage and hype, both before and after the release of this report. What we're referring to is in uh, late June of 2021, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence in the United States uh, released an unclassified report on unidentified aerial phenomena, particularly uh, it was an overview, you know, sort of a broad lens overview mm-hmm. of um, recent U.S. military sightings. I think they 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 analyzed 144 reports. Uh, only one of those was explained during the course of the study. Um, they said some of these reports involve things that, you know, were moving without discernible uh, means of propulsion. Um, so it was this fascinating report that came out with a lot of media hype. And th- that came out in that uh, it was in uh, late June 2021. But starting in May 2021, there was a lot of media coverage about the impending release of this report. Mm-hmm. Um, I- I've seen people discussing it online as if like now is the time the government's going to admit you know, if they're ever going to admit they're working with aliens, this is it. Um, well, well, they, they didn't admit that. No, uh, but, certainly but, not. <laughs> but what they did admit is that the phenomenon is real, that these sightings, in, you know, involve physical objects, that these aren't, you know, phantoms or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and that they don't know what they are. So, you know, while there was no, while this report that came out didn't, you know, clarify the origins of, of any of these sightings, what they did do is underscore the fact that the the mystery is real and that, you know, the U.S. intelligence community and the U.S. military uh, actively admits to the fact that we have a mystery here, that, you know, um, trained personnel are seeing things that they can identify. And some of these things are being captured by sensors and video and things like that, and that they are defying easy explanations. So I think a lot of people were hoping that report would be like, oh, the aliens are here. You know, here's the fridge with the bodies. Uh, No, that's not what happens. But for me, you know, I thought it was significant 
just for the fact that you had a intelligence and military officials saying, you know, we have a genuine mystery that we're dealing with. And I think that was significant. Yeah. So with this report coming out and the media hype surrounding it as the backdrop, what you've uncovered is kind of the Canadian government's reaction to all this hype and energy happening within the media. So let's just start from the beginning. Tell me about, first of all, what made you look for documents related to how the Canadian government was happening, how the Canadian government was dealing with this, and what did you find? Well, in in this particular case, this was a a great example of the power of uh, the UFO research community, because the documents that this story was based on uh, weren't ones that I found myself Actually, there were uh, a guy named Steve on UFO Twitter uh, who wants his last name to be withheld. But he sent me a document package that he obtained through an access information request. And he said, have a look at this. You know, those documents contain emails uh, from senior um, defense personnel, as well as uh, briefing slides on the subject of unidentified aerial phenomena. So once uh, this UFO Twitter hero Steve sent me this stuff, you know, I started asking questions to the Departments of National Defense, and I also filed an additional, uh, a subsequent uh, information request just to confirm the veracity of the documents, just, you know, to, to cover the bases there. And uh, lo and behold, it shows that in May 2021, uh, just as the news of this upcoming report was coming out, that the Department of National Defense was paying close attention to the news coming out of the U.S. So I think, you know, your listeners may remember there was a really big uh, segment on 60 Minutes interviewing, um, you know, uh, U.S. military aviators about their sightings. Mm-hmm. Um, NBC News did some segments. And it, it was particularly the an NBC uh, story on May 19th that inspired the Minister of National Defense's uh, chief of staff, a guy named George Young, to send an email to senior defense officials saying, hey, look at this news that's happening in the United States. Uh, the U.S. is saying that they're investigating this from a national security perspective. Uh, there's probably defense implications here. Uh, we need to brief the minister. I, I have his email in front of me. Uh, this was from, you know, this was from May 19th, 2021. This is the chief of staff of the uh, Minister of National Defense. He writes, quote, I, I expect I am not alone in noting the recent increase in comments regarding unidentified flying objects in the media internationally, particularly in the U.S. Hmm. He gives a few examples in the email, and then he says, quote, I believe it is prudent to request the full briefing for Minister uh, Sajan on the Canadian perspective on this issue. That is to say, a report on any and all research that has been done by the Canadian military, any sightings, any historical inter- information, interfaces with other governments, any other related information, quote, in other words, use the broadest possible lens to inform us of any Canadian angle to the issue. This was this was tasked out to a lieutenant colonel. So a senior member of the military uh, was tasked with overseeing this effort. Um, The effort was coordinated by the basically a group within the Canadian military that's responsible for providing advice uh, to senior leaders. And then in early June, it manifested in a presentation for the former Canadian defense minister 
on the subject of unidentified aerial phenomena. So the briefing slides, you know, that we were able to obtain, um, you know, contain an overview of Canadian cases and procedures. Um, and this briefing happened, you know, it took six weeks of emails to get the Department of National Defense to even acknowledge that the briefing took place. Um, they won't even tell me the exact date. I don't know specifically everything that was discussed in that briefing, but we do have, you know, from the story I did for CTV News, we do have the emails uh, coordinating this briefing, and we do have the presentation slides that the former defense minister would have been sitting there seeing while he was hearing about unidentified aerial phenomena. One of the more interesting briefings, certainly, and one of the more interesting like PowerPoint presentation sort of presentations that I've seen. So I, I believe the presentation that, that, you shared um, that was present, presented to the former defense minister, I think it was maybe five or six pages long. And as you said, it was a, kind of like a broad overview of the UFO phenomenon in Canada. What was some of the data in it that stood out to you? Like what, what if you a layman, let's say, that isn't following the story as closely, was, was it something that would move you or compel you to, you know, to be interested? You know, perhaps. I, I think I can flip to the slides I have on here. Mm -hmm. Frankly, you know, I, I'm not in the business of writing op-eds, so I, I don't express my opinion in my in my stories. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I, I, I feel like this effort wasn't excellent. You know, it, anyone with access to Google probably could have put this thing together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, there was no information contained in here that I didn't already know through my research through the access information system. Mm -hmm. But I, I think what I did find striking, you know, if anything was, it sort of expressed the volume of cases, you know, um, uh, and some of the examples I thought were quite unique. You know, there was an example from May 2021 of a Delta Airlines flight over Saskatchewan that uh, was calling air traffic control because they couldn't figure out what was above them, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. There was another case from uh, Nova Scotia. Um, from December 2018. This was a, uh, actually a case I, I wrote about in a previous story where a fisherman in the Bay of Fundy and a woman at home on shore both reported seeing hovering lights high out over the, uh, over the Atlantic Ocean. They reported that to a search and rescue center in Halifax. The search and rescue center in Halifax notified a NORAD affiliated part of the Canadian Air Force. They checked NORAD radar and lo and behold, they got a radar hit uh, exactly, you know, that correlated almost exactly to the time and location of the sighting. So basically wow. something appeared hovering over the Atlantic Ocean, stood, you know, sort of floated around there for about 40 minutes and then disappeared just as suddenly. So this, this case was referenced in the slides as well. Mm -hmm. And, and I think one thing, actually, what really impressed me about the slides was, um, you know, they really revealed uh, uh, Chris, Chris Rakowski's level of involvement with the Department of National Defense. The slides specifically referred to him as Canada's preeminent ufologist. Uh, there was a photograph of him in the slides that was redacted. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, uh, I was able to obtain, after the story came out, I, I was able to obtain a... Uh, separate copy, but for those who are following by camera here, you can see it says Chris Rakowski, Canada's preeminent ufologist. There would have been a photo of him in this square right here. Wow, that's a, a, for a for a ufologist having like your photo redacted in a government document is like a Pulitzer Prize. 
Well, it's, it's kind of ridiculous because Chris is uh, very active in the media, very active online, and it's not hard to find photos of him. But anyways, it was this one line here, you know, it says here, 2000, Mr. Rakowski receives all UFO related reports from DND and Transport Canada. You know, that for me was quite fascinating to see that spelled out so directly that he is receiving all reports. You know, I've spoken to Chris about this. He says he, he was last sent material in early 2021. And so it's been about a year since he's received official material from the government. Um, he, I guess he guesses, you know, that has to do with the increased scrutiny the subject is having in mm -hmm. light of mainstream media attention, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. You know, I, I, I didn't want, you know, my work and this attention to result in him losing that kind of access. You know, I think it's better someone gets this kind of stuff than nobody. Yeah, certainly. Um, so if, if I, you know, if my research and work played any part in, in him losing that access, I am deeply sorry because, you know, if Chris isn't getting this stuff, it means nobody's getting this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that is a serious issue for transparency in Canada. But, you know, I, I guess if any, you know, and also, but really to go back to what I was saying before, I guess what, what impressed me with this presentation was, was, I guess, how unimpressive it was. It just reinforced that the Canadian military doesn't see this as a national security or defense issue. Um, that they aren't paying super close attention to the reports that are coming in, in Canada. And frankly, you know what, I, I think that's actually fine. Um, I, I don't believe necessarily that the Canadian military should be handling this the way that U.S. intelligence and military officials are. Um, you know, any journalist who's working in the subject will tell you it, it might be easy to get statements from U.S. senators and U.S. officials on the subject, but getting actual case data in the United States is impossible um, because, you know, freedom of information laws allow for material to be withheld on national security grounds. Mm -hmm. So in the United States, if they're conceiving of this as a national security issue, it means that pretty much, you know, most relevant data can be withheld from the freedom of information process. Okay. Yeah. I think part of the reason in Canada that I've been able to, you know, what I've been able to obtain over a thousand pages of declassified documents so far, it's precisely because the Canadian military and Canadian officials don't see this as a national security and defense issue. So, you know, I, I would hate for my reporting to be misconstrued as, as me advocating for a, a closer military look at this stuff in Canada, because as soon as our military starts caring, uh, then suddenly all of the types of data that I've been getting will will be withheld mm, yeah so you know so i i would love in canada to see a revived scientific interest as i said before scientists at the national research council of canada used to be uh used to receive cases uh i would like to see something like that happen again because yeah if our, if our you know the the slides show our military clearly doesn't really care and we don't want them to care because if they do it means our ability to to get data through our freedom of information laws will become it'll become an impossible task yeah an interesting kind of balancing act that has to happen there now we know this briefing happened we have a copy of the briefing for the most part and we get to see the data that they were looking at but with what you've uncovered and or have been with what has been shared with you, we have no indication of what happens after that. Like a briefing is just that they're telling the defense minister, you know, here's the current uh, situation, but we don't know if or what action was taken or, or how compelling this would have been for the defense minister to make any changes. 
We, we don't know. You know, the Department of National Defense, uh, when they finally confirmed that the briefing occurred, you know, this briefing occurred in early June 2021. So there was all this media hype about the upcoming U.S. UFO report that, you know, the military paid attention. They had a briefing in advance of that. But there's no evidence that I found so far that there has been any briefings in Canada with the with the with National Defense after that release from the uh, office of the director of national intelligence in the U.S. So it showed they were paying attention to media reports. But then, you know, there, there's no evidence that once this release, this report came out, that there was any follow up in Canada. It's perfectly possible that there were briefings and that the uh, public affairs people I'm dealing with aren't aware of that. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily think there's active obfuscation here, but I think, you know, the perhaps to speculate the defense minister's reaction was okay this is interesting you know the canadian military has not really involved itself in ufo files since the 1950s or so and mm. I, I guess they didn't see a reason to get involved again you know the slides do stay that that they, they do investigate cases in certain narrow specifics so if there is any sort of um basically the quote is uh, the Canadian Armed Forces does not typically investigate sightings of unexplained phenomena outside the context of investigating potential threats or distress. Mm. So, so there are examples uh, in Canada where of potential threats or distress where, you know, the military does investigate. But I think, outside, you know, I found one case from Prince Edward Island where a woman reported seeing something fall into the ocean and uh, search and rescue helicopters were sent out to investigate. Yeah. Um, there's there's been other cases where they've detected things on radar and scrambled military jets to investigate. But outside of, you know, those clear sort of threat and safety cases, there really is no investigation. And there seems to be no follow up, you know, but but what's interesting, I would say, is that the recent relevant uh, the recent revelations from the U.S., you know, that June report it hasn't gone unnoticed in Ottawa. So mm -hmm. while our former defense minister had this briefing, there's evidence that other uh, members of parliaments and people in Ottawa have sought out information on this subject, you know, before and after that time. Um, for example, the there's been um, quiet efforts within the Conservative Party of Canada, the official opposition party, that a lot of members of that party have had briefings on the subject uh, from knowledgeable folks in the field, particularly, um, you know, um, certain knowledgeable American folks and former American officials have briefed members of the Conservative Party of Canada. There is interest. There is interest in Ottawa. Uh, and, you know, I'll be writing more about that in the future. But in, in the actual Department of National Defense itself, it just seems, you know, it seems to be there's a there was a flurry of interest in advance of this report coming out. And then, you know, perhaps there was just a collective shrug. Oh, this is interesting, but you know, this, this has nothing to do with us. This is sort of outside of our mandate. Okay. Now, you mentioned there, there's, there's a lot you're working on and just by going through your history or, or what you've worked on over the last year, I can tell you got a million pots on the stove, so to speak for people who want to follow the work you're doing and in, in the publishing of your articles, what's the best way to follow along with you? Yeah, um, follow me on Twitter at DSOTIS. Um, Twitter, I guess, is where I'm most active on social media. And oftentimes, you know, I write about cases or procedures, and then I get additional documents through the access to information system. 
you know, I'm not going to write a whole new story if I got a, you know, a couple extra pages on a case I've already written about. So I'm frequently posting declassified material on Twitter, um, you know, additional stuff from things I've already written about. I have a personal website, danielotis.ca, where I've uh, posted um, all of my stories on the subject, as well as uh, my uh, podcast appearances. I think I have a link to my previous uh, chat with you on there. Awesome. Um, so yeah, follow me on Twitter, uh, danielotis.ca, and the vast majority of my work on the subject can be found uh, on Vice. So my Vice contributor page will contain most of the stuff I've produced on the subject, with the exception of this recent story I did for CTV News on the former defense minister's UAP briefing. I want to thank you for joining Daniel Otis and I in our discussion. But before we part, I want to give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Daniel Otis for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I'd also like to thank Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. But the most important thanks goes to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and it has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening to the premium feed. And not only does that keep the show alive, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and maintain a full catalog of prior episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, subscribe to the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And since I'm on the topic, let me thank the newest subscribers. Judy, Jason, and Scott, thanks for going premium. But for anyone else out there who'd like to support the show but can't pitch in financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone has any story ideas, want to give feedback on the show, or contribute a voice memo to be aired in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. I hope to hear from you there. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.